You're listening to the Designer Journals with Liv. That was amazing. I'm so glad I did that. Oh, I'm glad that you did too and had good experience. Yeah, because <laughs> that was quite full on that first ever Venadoc that we hosted in Indonesia in yeah. a remote community in Arche. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode and thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Julie Nichols, who is a senior lecturer at UniSA at the moment. I had her for many subjects throughout my studies over the years and even did a overseas study trip with her, which was really cool. We talk about that. Um, It was a really good chat with Julie. We talk about how she got into architecture and how that all started for her and talk about her research and what all that meant and came about and just overall really good chats and I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, let's jump in. All right. Welcome, Julie, to the podcast. Thanks so much, Liv. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for waiting out all the technical difficulties as well. All good. <laughs> I'm very familiar <laughs> with technical difficulties. Okay. Um, for the listeners, maybe just um, briefly introduce yourself. Okay. Well, I'm um, a senior lecturer at University of South Australia. I'm Olivia's old lecturer. Um, my f- focus for um, my research and teaching topics is around sustainability and environmental systems and vernacular knowledge in architecture. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> That's quite a lot, um, but, you know, it keeps me busy. Yes. Um, so when did you start at UniSA? I feel like it was my first year. So technically on a full-time capacity, yeah. I started back in 2014. Um, yep. But prior to that, I did a contract when I had my first child in 2004 um, mm-hmm. where I taught uh, a studio subject with one of the old lecturers, uh, Jen Smith. And, yeah, but yeah. full-time from 2014. I think I started 2012. Ooh. Oh, maybe. Okay. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I guess a lot of what I'm I'm doing on the podcast is asking people how they started in architecture. It's kind of really cool to go back to the beginning and just see where people's roots are. Um, So what got you into architecture? Um, Uh, Yeah. Tell us about that. Oh, well, (laughs) um, I went to a school where we were told that girls can do everything and I was really motivated because my interests, I was always an all-rounder at school across arts and science. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of encouraged early on, I think in the beginning of high school, to look at architecture and I was really passionate about doing it from that point onwards. That's cool. Yeah. So did you go straight from high school into um, uni? Yes. Yeah. And are you from Adelaide? Yes. Yes. Nice. Um, So did you go to uni, say? No, <laughs> is that politically correct? Uh, no, I went to Uni of Adelaide. Um, yep. So actually I was in year 10, talked out of doing architecture by a, a, a sort of famous Adelaide architect who will remain nameless um, and I actually enrolled in law, arts law. So I transferred into, uh, I did one architecture subject yep. in arts and transferred yep. in first year. Wow. Uh, second year, sorry. Yeah, oh, cool. Um, and did you, I guess you obviously found that was a better like did you was there anything that made you decide I've always been really passionate about design and design in sort of everything uh not just buildings and so doing design studio Mm -hmm. was the subject I was enrolled in and I was I Mm -hmm. just loved it yeah (laughs) nice um so how did you find uni 
um, in your time, I guess. Like, so, is it different now that you teach? Oh, yes. Like, can you yeah, like tell us about what? Um, yeah, the comparisons, I guess. Well, okay, so architecture back in the dark ages when I was at uni, um, we didn't, this was when CAD was just coming, <laughs> sounds like it's very old, but um, it was it was very uh, drawing based, like a lot of sketch design, a lot of model building, mm-hmm. a lot of kind of hands-on stuff, yep. uh, which I loved and I loved being in studio and experimenting with ideas. I had some really key lecturers that really encouraged my sort of intellectual approach to architecture. So I did a lot of reading Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I just loved everything about it. And even though my degree was six – well, two degrees was six years, it went really quickly and Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed it. Mm. Oh, that's good. The whole time. Yeah, so it was a split in two degrees. Yeah, so it was a Bachelor of Architectural Studies and then a Bachelor of Architecture. Mm -hmm. And um, we did an honours – in our Bachelor of Architecture. Okay, cool. And then how did you find um, what was life like for you when you left uni and then had to enter the workforce? So in our uh, degree we had six months of um, uh, an internship uh, where I went to Queensland and I went for Blyvola. At that time it was Blyvola, but then Blyvola kneeled now. Um, and I went up to Brisbane and worked up there. So I was really keen to go back because the firm, it was, you know, a really design-orientated firm. And I made a lot of friends up in Brisbane during that six months in fifth year when we did our internship. And so I was really keen to go back once I graduated mm-hmm. to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, yeah, worked up there for a few years. But then I always wanted to travel with yeah. with architect or practicing architecture. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find the first few years? Um, like when you came out here, did you feel like uni prepared you enough for what you had to do? Oh, well, I guess I was sort of of that vintage <laughs> when I we I progressively through my entire mm-hmm. two degrees, uh, did work experience every okay. holidays. Yeah, Even cool. I had a paid job, a mm-hmm. casual job, but I also always allocated pretty much a week aside in all my uni holidays to working in firms. So I actually I had quite a few contacts by the time yeah. well, I finished. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you – how did architecture take you overseas? Uh, so um, when I was in – the Brisbane office, I transferred into another office at that point, the Bucken Group, who were commercial architects. And my colleagues there had some uh, contacts in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I, re- I was really wanting to go to Southeast Asia. I'd already travelled to Southeast Asia pr- prior to um, wanting to leave Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I ended up negotiating jobs with, and I just wanted to go for local firms. I didn't want to go for Australian based companies right, in okay. Asia. I wanted to really experience the true authenticity, authentic, <laughs> authentic even though I, I don't like that word anymore, um, uh, experience of Asia. And yep. yeah, and mm-hmm. I really did get that. It was great. Yeah. How long were you there for? So also two years, but mm-hmm. um, then the economic Asian financial um, crash occurred in 1998 um, and so I left with my partner and we went to the UK. Mm. Nice. So you worked in the UK for yes. as well? Yes. So then um, worked in Edinburgh for uh, 18 months 
um, in Scotland, which I also loved, totally different mm. to Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, very much sort of like working here. So, um, but whereas Malaysia was all design orientated, lots mm-hmm. of money um, invested in conceptual kind of thinking. Um, also, the processes on site were completely different, like really hands on, you're adjusting. You didn't do a full working construction set of drawings. Right. You'd be adjusting, making decisions on site. So I really missed that kind of method when I went to the UK because the UK was obviously a lot more legislated just like here. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> and also I was doing institutional and hospital work. Mm. So the work that I was doing in Malaysia was um, resort-based, um, high-end housing for mm-hmm. um, pretty much wealthy people in Malaysia and um, university buildings and things like that. So there was a lot of really – and hotels. So it was a really sort of boom time. Whereas once I got to the UK, things economically slowed on a global kind of level. And so there wasn't such an investment at Mm. that point in time. Okay. Wow. So you've had like a huge – Broad experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think. But I, th- I think the, the benefit of it was that I can kind of be quite adaptable within mm. the various specialties in architecture. But unlike my colleagues perhaps that stayed in Australia, I didn't become proficient in any one specific area. Right. So you picked up a lot of skills. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of jack-of-all-trades, master of none, if you like. <laughs> That's what we are, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of really took that to the nth degree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and amongst um, developing your career, like how did you find work keeping your personal and relationship sort of work-life balance? Did you struggle with that in the beginning or I guess just dived in to work? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess because um, – I always was very committed to mm. my both my studies and because of my passion for architecture, I always sort of threw myself in yeah. the deep end. So I guess in my relationship, uh, he was very much used to <laughs> my pattern of work. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it was really yeah. challenging at different mm. times, particularly after having children. Yeah. I found that was very challenging because then you have to sort of lower your standards <laughs> in terms of your because you're looking after more than just yourself yeah. or your partner uh it was a challenge it mm. it was a big challenge actually I can't underestimate well I guess that's where I was leaning to being a woman myself and looking to have a family one day I guess no one well I haven't heard many stories I guess of how people make that work and uh, yeah. So I can. So in terms of okay. So then we fast forward. I guess back to coming back to Australia, which was a, also a choice to mm-hmm. sort of settle back in Australia because I knew that I would have family support. Yes, that was a big thing uh, for starting a family. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and and that was another reason actually to return to Adelaide. Yep. Um. So. So that was a sort of a conscious decision because mm. I was very aware of, and different practices as you would know, uh, work differently. So the large commercial firms that you perhaps don't get the same design focus pay better often because mm. they're sort of, I don't want to, yeah, 
they just have a different system. Yep. The designery firms that are small scale, this was in my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that this is the case now. Yep. Um, the designery firms that I worked for, the pay was not very good and I was working really long hours. Mm-hmm. But that's where I learned the most. and that's so. But I knew then once I got, once I was starting to have a family that I couldn't do it all. So I had to make a real conscious decision around Mm -hmm. who I would work for. So I ended up working for Salt Studio. He was um, Libby and Andrew were my old tutors from Adelaide Uni Mm -hmm. and um, they were just wonderful, like so flexible. But I also started teaching as well. So I was starting to, whilst I'd cut down perhaps on the work commitments in the firm, I had upped my multitasking. (laughs) (laughs) Was that always um, the a goal of yours, I guess, to come back to teach? Like when did teaching come into the picture? Well, actually I was terrified of teaching uh, because, <laughs> yeah, I had some really amazing lecturers <laughs> and I thought, I don't know how you do all of that kind of thing. And um, But I thought, you know, I like to give it a go. I like to give everything a go. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of really enjoyed it. Mm. Did an opportunity present itself to you that made yes. you think, oh, yeah. oh, I could do a teaching yeah. gig? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think Dimity Anderson, who oh, really? I studied yeah. with, uh, she said to me, oh, you should come and do some, because she was doing some tutoring here, uh, not at UniSA at that time, she was at Adelaide, and she said, um, come in, come and tutor at Adelaide. And, um, and I was like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> don't know how that would work but anyway um yeah she dubbed me in and it was yeah it was really I yeah. really enjoyed it yeah and so that worked well with the family life as well as so you kind of got the best of both worlds would you say so I thought <laughs> again I'm always overly optimistic about yep. my capabilities and how I can juggle things and I think it was it it was potentially doable, but because I like to kind of put in quite a lot of energy into everything, yeah, um, it wasn't doable possibly to the degree that I'd the task that I'd set myself. Yeah, so I just had to make some adjustments, <laughs> which yeah, inevitably meant that I ended up um, transferring into doing a PhD. Okay, yeah, so. Tell us about your PhD. Yeah, well, actually, my um, old supervisor, like my final year studio coordinator, he's the one that talked me into it. And when he said to, to, he suggested it and to become an academic, and I just said, that's just so ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And um, um, I still like architectural practice to a certain degree. Um, So at that point, actually, it was quite transitional because I, um, was finding everything a juggle. So I resigned from, with sadness, from yeah. working with Andrew and Libby and I ended up going out on my own because I had a few projects okay. in the pipeline um, and I worked with also another practising architect, um, Lisa, her married name, Martin. She was one of my colleagues from uni. We used to subcontract to each other when we had too much work just for us. Mm-hmm. So she, she she was starting up her own practice and um but I had children she hadn't at that point and so she was helping me out on my jobs and then I was also teaching as well mm-hmm. so we kind of made that work for a while but then um yeah Samma suggested that I get do, start doing PhD so I did part-time PhD mm-hmm. and part-time 
architectural practice yeah. in my own business. Yeah. Did you like? Did it take you a while to figure out what to do for your PhD? Oh no. So my PhD was always driven by my Southeast Asian experience okay. and yeah. the the kind of predicament that I found myself in as a graduate architect and not understanding the cultural context of working in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. like as in not being from that cultural context, I'd, be, I'd visited, but I knew very little about who I was designing buildings for. Mm-hmm. And so that really made me question the kind of international style and all these, at that time, all these expatriates that were in Asia and still are to a certain extent, designing for a cultural context that I felt was becoming, this is my opinion, at that time, becoming quite generic, like an international style. You could be anywhere. Oh, okay, yeah. So you wanted to dive into, I guess, like preserving the traditional sense of it? Yeah, so I, oh, I just wanted to know more. I wanted. Mm, I felt okay. like I didn't have a knowledge base yeah. around um, cultural practices. Around, and in Malaysia, you know, there's distinct sort of cultural groups, but also there's a melting pot of different peoples Mm. as well. So I felt that the only way to kind of enrich the urban and residential, urban and residential environment with good architecture was to understand that cultural context. Mm. So, and then I sort of thought more broadly about other places that I travelled because Mm -hmm. I went during that period before I came back to Adelaide. I'd spent six months in South America. I'd spent, um, uh, you know, a, a year traveling in Europe and, uh, and another year, or I think it was nine months traveling around Asia. So I had a sort of sense of how urban environments were mm. really changing to this sort of international style, right. which there's nothing wrong with that, but mm. it's just, I wondered, I sort of questioned would it be different if mm. expatriate architects that were working in these places knew more about the cultural context? Because mm. I guess if they come from overseas, they're just taking their style yeah. over there. Yeah. yeah. How does like um, how does the education work overseas in people getting becoming architects in Southeast Asia? Is it so the that same process? Well, so that's really an interesting thing. So the generation before me, my mm. bosses in Southeast Asia were educated in Australia. Okay. So all at most sort of senior architects at that point that were Malaysian were um, educated so in the UK or yeah. Australia or where it's... And was that the only way to do it back then? Uh, no, you could get it, but I don't think it was... It was a sort of an esteem measure to get overseas qualifications. Like versing the qualifications? Like Australian qualification versus yeah. Malaysian qualification, yes. which I guess still happens at a that lot. time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's quite as mm. entrenched as it used to be. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that can lead us into um, Vernadoc and how you have dived into that. I did a. I think I did it my final year, an elective. And our first one you did in, yeah. in Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. I'm so glad I did that. Oh, I'm glad that you did too and had good experience. Yeah, because that was quite full on that first ever Venadoc that we hosted in Indonesia in yeah. a remote community in Aceh. Yeah. When I was there, though, I just thought it felt exactly like the Philippines because that's where my family's from. Just, yeah, like 
the scene and everything. So it was familiar to me because of where my family's from. Um, and yeah, I was a bit, a bit of deja vu. I was like, oh, this is the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, it was such a, I think it was such a sort of amazing mm. experience. And we were there for, for a long all. time. It was like three weeks. I yeah, because yeah. we also launched the the research group that mm. I started up, um, the Vernacular Knowledge Research Group at the embassy in Jakarta with the yeah. Australian Deputy Ambassador to um Australian Deputy Ambassador to Jakarta, Dr. Brad Armstrong, launched it. It was so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was really significant kind yeah. of time. And so Vernadoc uh, – Just maybe summarise what that is for oh, so, Yeah. Yeah, so Vernadoc being sort of the acronym for vernacular documentation, vernacular architecture being architecture without architects, um, da, um, constructed by local knowledge, local builders – oral in the case of Arche uh, oral traditions that are passed down craftsmanship that is something that is also passed down so all of this knowledge is not on a drawing it's just um, spoken about and it's often sung like there's songs around forms of building yeah Uh, there's uh, songs about sustainable practice as well mm. like so planting the trees for the building when the baby's born to wow. um, have a sustainable form of building so all of that was very intriguing and motivated mm. because actually originally from doing PhD with an Archonese lady mm-hmm. Izia Hassan my colleague who I met when the tsunami hit in wow. 2004 in, so she yeah. was in Adelaide and I had just started PhD okay. with her. She was partway through her PhD, but we became really good friends. And then six months into our sort of friendship, the tsunami hit and she it was just devastating. It was mm-hmm. – um, it's like I kind of – I don't know why, but I sort of really identified with that sort of grief of losing mm. um because well, you spent so much time yeah, researching it. yeah yeah so just I identified with the sort of grief of losing everything like losing your family losing your history losing the archives losing everything that reminds you of your past and your belonging sense of belonging so we talked, I mean, obviously during that period there was it was just chaos. So she mm. ended up going back to Arche and helping on, with the World Bank restoration and um, re, rebuilding projects and mm. it was just crazy time. So I lost contact because there was no contact uh, yeah. for about oh, probably three or four years we lost contact. Mm-hmm. She ended up coming back to Australia to finish her PhD and we kind of touched base to, again and said, we, you know, we'd mm. really like to work together in the future. And mm. and then, yeah, and then I got a grant <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I was, and, um, so was that to bring it over here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so I got a grant to do the Archonese um, Vernadoc. Oh, the one that we went yeah. on. Yeah, yeah that yeah. you guys did. And... The, that was all sort of a chance encounter as well. I was in, um, I was giving a keynote talk in 
in West Java um, with a Thai colleague who I got the grant and I'd made friends with him and I just said, oh, it's Tana, I've just got this grant, which is great, but I have no idea <laughs> how I'm going to document these buildings. Yeah. And he said, you should speak to my Thai colleague, Sujit, yeah. who has this particular method called Vernadoc and you oh. can do it by hand and it's really good for doing remote work and yeah. documentation of remote work. And so that kicked it all off. Wow. I, yeah. That was like, I'm still so proud of the drawing that I did because like I could never force myself to draw that detail for like studio. I guess yeah. I just ran out of time and would jump on the computer. Yeah. So I really yeah value what that forced me to do. You know, I, sketching amongst all the chickens. <laughs> I know, exactly. I could like to think of it as the um, architectural yoga, <laughs> that drawing yeah. method, yeah. or the slow food equivalent yeah. of drawing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something that until you do it, mm. I don't think you fully appreciate the benefits. Yeah, for sure. And you've done a few trips since yes so we've done four vernadox now um we but covid kind of interrupted things a little bit um so we've done we we focused on indonesia first Mm -hmm. because that was sort of my research area we also did training in thailand before we did the um so actually we've done five but um uh, that was one that we didn't host but we um my colleague darren fong and i and all my Indonesian colleagues, mm-hmm. we all went to the Thai Vernadoc before we did the Arche one. Yeah. So we all got trained up in how to, the method. And then um, after that, we did two Bali ones. And then we did Bara last year, but we could only do Bara being the first Australian Vernadoc um, without our international colleagues, which was a bit sad because yeah. of COVID. So did that line up the timeline? It- that was always planned in yeah. that order. Uh, it was just coincidence that mm-hmm. we weren't traveling um, yeah. that uh, last year, um, which was always the plan. Yeah. It was also supposed to align with the International Council of Monuments and Sites conference in Sydney, which got cancelled yeah. as well. So, yeah. yeah. So how is, um, like, what was uni like for everyone last year with COVID? Like, did that just mess everything up? <laughs> uh, it was definitely a very fast transition to okay. online communications which had its teething problems of along the way for various reasons you know not having all the yeah. all the technical equipment but also um it was the first time we'd ever done an online studio and things like right. that so okay. i think i think especially people that were starting uni mm. i think it was a big challenge and uh but i mean on the whole i think we kind of got used to mm. that form of delivery and it's still ongoing because yeah. we're doing online lectures still. Right. Uh, I'm still, I use, I still try and introduce the live element by having live Zoom because I'm delivering sort of mm. technical information, which we know is a little dry and especially if you don't deliver it yeah. in a kind of a bit more animated way than a recording. Uh, so I'm trying mm. to do that. But other than that, yeah, we've kind of continued. Yeah. But so do students still come in every yes. day? Yeah. yeah, we still have face-to-face tutorials yeah. in the studio, yeah. Now, so, yeah. which is much better. Yeah, I'm sure there would have been a relieved students not having to come in all the time back in the beginning. <laughs> I know, but it was – it. It was quite isolating, I think, it for was, students yeah. and, um, well, I think for everybody, mm. actually. Yeah. Um, the social contact is such a massive part of architectural education. For sure, yeah. You know, it's been um, like a year since the whole lockdown started. 
it's yeah. gone. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been yeah. It's been a sort of interesting time mm, for sure. It's, yeah, it's given some. It's really in provided insight in terms of how you can communicate. Like you can mm. communicate through these different forms of media that we hadn't perhaps engaged with enough before so I think it's actually opened up opportunities Mm -hmm. but I think it's also yeah still presents its challenges Mm. because we're still working through yeah all the processes yeah did um like numbers drop not having the ability to have international students come yes yes so particularly at master's level uh domestic student intake is still similar to normal Mm -hmm. Uh, intakes yeah. this year yeah. which is great uh, but yeah the international yeah. market mm, has been suffered. yeah 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 um, and what's the future um, for Vernadoc and your um, PhD at this stage okay so <laughs> the Vernadoc has always sort of influenced my research because okay. I my research really looks at how different forms of representation from the manual Vernadoc mm-hmm. to looking at digital capture because we do gigapan 360 degree photography mm, yeah. we do drone mapping we yep. do laser scanning we try and the the whole point of all of that was to reconstruct the archive in Arche mm-hmm. to for multiple audiences so people some people can't read two-dimensional drawings other people like to be immersed in a 3d environment to understand a building and its material materiality and things like that uh and then other people like to walk around it Mm -hmm. um walk around the site and things like that but virtually so Mm -hmm. we're trying to do so this is also kind of curious because it corresponded with the covid scenario as well oh yeah and we couldn't actually go there yeah. So these kind of ideas translated into the the, the situation that we were in mm, as yeah. well. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and so the future of Vernadoc, I hope, will be, I don't know if I will always continue to run the study tours in the same way because they are very labour intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to just go along on one and not, organize it (laughs) so that I can just absorb myself in it Uh, but so we've taught so the model that we've also developed is it's called a work integrated learning model Uh, some of our students who because the Vernadoc skill set is really still sought after in practice oh yeah it looks good on my portfolio (laughs) yeah yeah so like when we exhibit at Odessa they keep asking us back because all the design review panels that go through Odessa a lot of architects are really keen to see those skill sets retained. Mm. Manual yeah. drawing, observation, measurement. Uh, all, all the basics. All the, all the kind of key. Which I didn't – I know they teach you in first year, but I guess I didn't really have to put it to practice in that extent that I did on Vernadoc, which I was really – it was overwhelming but so, like, good just to, like, nut it into my head. Well, the thing about Vernadoc is it does make you um, – autonomous because you understand like unlike people that haven't done that particular course you know how Mm. to go in a particular method around a measurement of a building and then translating it to the page yep so it makes hopefully you're Mm. measuring up processes now even if you're doing it in a CAD Mm. you know drawing or whatever or whatever um you're still relating the sort of methodology to Mm. that process 
because you're yeah. thinking about yeah. how to measure in a in a step by step way. Yeah. So anyway, so the architectural profession has been mm-hmm. very supportive of it. So much so that particularly in built cultural heritage circles, National Trust, Department of Environment have uh, given us holiday projects as part of a work integrated learning model where we send our students like maybe four or mm. six thereabout out to a site that they want drawn up um, uh, and they it's like a internship in a way because okay. an intensive internship so you yeah. do the two-week Vernadoc period and but you're autonomous like mm. you you just work with your colleagues yeah um and you get that kind of experience and you say i worked for department of environment or whatever on your cv yeah and you get the drawing and they give you the accolades of yeah producing the drawings that um like for example we did it with Campbelltown council they had an exhibition a public exhibition they gave all these presents to the students <laughs> and they provided lunch every day yeah. so yeah so We've sort of set up those relationships with um, built cultural heritage organisations. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's been good. And so um, at the moment we've got students with National Trust Mm -hmm. working. Yeah. So, yeah, so Vernadoc students have a really distinct advantage in that area. Yeah. Do you have lots of students keen to do it? Actually. Now that they know what it is and seen it, I guess? They do. And this year, 2021, is the first year we've decided not to have a study tour um, mm-hmm. because we it's unknown. The like co- just the global climate the, right now, yeah. Yeah, it's just, and we just really want to do it with mm. our international colleagues uh, to bring them over here because we're always going over to their country and mm-hmm. they're dying to get here, really. They would love to do an Australian Bernadoc. We filmed it all. We filmed – and also we involved Nudgery community, the Aboriginal community. Community oh, in Barra, nice. yeah. and well, from Barra, not they don't live there. Yeah. Um, we had smoking ceremonies and all this, so we had we videoed it all and um, played it through WhatsApp so that our international friends could yeah. see it all live. <laughs> um, but it's not the same as yeah, being there in person. Mm. Yeah, so no immediate plans, but I have had students this year approach me, so we might do like a volunteer fund yourself mm, okay. thing at the end yeah. of the year and just yeah. do a kind of Vernadoc light, like maybe a week and mm. do the pencil drawing and then people ink up in their own time or something mm. like that. Yeah. It's the fun part or the fun, scary part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the immediate plans. Cause yeah, I, w- I don't want to drop the bundle completely, but it is with competing, <laughs> competing commitments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Difficult yeah. to retain every year. That's so cool. I remember I was I was asking you about the Bali Bernadoc about yes. jumping on board, but but then I got a job, which was I was like, yay, no, like yeah, I know it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard to because yeah. you know, as you know now, you're only getting four weeks off I know, a year. I had to like bank up my leave. Um, yeah, you know, just adult things. Yeah, <laughs> other commitments. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, but I just remember being so jealous. That I was oh, I loved Arche, but I was like, man, I would love to go to Bali. I know. <laughs> well, Bali was so different, even though it's Indonesia, it's just so different. Yeah, like you know, going from a Sharia law context to a Hindu context, it's quite different. Mm, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, have to look out for what Vanderbilt does. <laughs> well, um, at one time we were thinking of advertising it to the profession because a lot of like I know, for example. Mm. 
uh, Michael Quill from Department of Environment Heritage SA is really keen to do one. Um, I hope I'm not dobbing him in <laughs> in this public. Sorry, no one's heard this yet. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a few people that have approached me, architects, practicing architects that have yeah. been keen to do it. Oh, that would be so cool. Just get like a practice edition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we have we are thinking about that, but yeah, it's just the yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I'll help you sell it if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Liv. That'd be great. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess being aware of time. Um. Is there anything else that I guess you wanted to chat about? Like any um thing that's going on at uni at the moment? What are you um teaching? So I, I'm teaching still in the environment stream because yeah. that's sort of my passion. I'm yep. really uh, extending, I'm trying to bring in mm. all these avenues of uh, vernacular knowledge. So um, mm. I'm looking, focusing on an Aboriginal knowledge uh, okay, because cool. in this country, so yep. as opposed to looking in Indonesia this time because we're all working from here, um, <laughs> I want to really... Um, really investigate traditional knowledge because that's cool it's uh it's really fascinating how there's a crossover between aboriginal oral traditions and indonesian oral traditions in the way those countries have both been colonized and they've both rationalized the colonization process through performance art and storytelling and all this sort of knowledge that infi- mm. infiltrates even the building. So in the borough context, um, Quentin Ages, the elder that I work with, he says that there's a new song line crafted from the colonial buildings because they came out of Nigeria land. So I just find it so fascinating how always in the cross-cultural context people are able to keep going Mm. even though they've got such adversity and they use their environment and their vernacular knowledge to help them wow so it's really so I'm really investigating that now and I'm um, also bringing that into so not only the aboriginal concept of country but the Western concept of environment and considering we're in a period of climate emergency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My next studio next semester is looking at bushfire management and traditional owners' understanding of bushfire management. Yeah. So And so we're going to – this is the um, spoiler alert uh, (laughs) – is that we're going to really tackle the – building code legislation around tree clearance and uh, this kind of thing, which is obviously the big picture issue for climate change. Remove trees, contributes to um, increasing the lack of a carbon sink, Uh which means global warming, which means increased temperatures and increased natural disaster events, right? So the big picture issue has to be addressed first off. And then if we come down, like go from the macro to the micro, when we look at this principle, because I live in the Adelaide Hills, of clearing 20 metres Mm -hmm. a perimeter around a house, we will have no trees left in the Adelaide Hills. Now we know what that means increased heat island effect and all these things so yeah now i want to try and draw in traditional owners to talk to bureaucrats and 
all of us, all yes, of us. like how to manage it. How to manage it differently. Yeah. How to look at large-scale tracts of land, look at, yeah. look at management because bushfires do not strike individual houses. <laughs> they take out entire townships. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, I'm really passionate about this because I feel we haven't looked holistically mm. at our legislation around environmental management the building code is an interesting thing since i didn't care for it when i was in uni but then when you get out of uni you have to design to it and it feels really restrictive i guess and i know that's a re- we know we don't teach it at uni because i guess there's no need to you want to explore i we, guess we tried to that, leave yeah i know <laughs> We tried to. No, I do remember Section J. Yeah, yeah, Section J. Yeah, Um, but it feels restrictive and it's not exciting. Um, No. But yeah, I guess it's interesting how I feel like at uni, for me, my perspective was you do all this dreaming and exploration, and then you get out into the real world, and it's all these processes just to get a house going. That's why I think it's really important to, where possible, to have real clients. Yeah. With our studio projects. Yeah. I mean, they're limiting in some ways, but yeah. there's such an opportunity. You get much more of an idea of mm-hmm. what you need to deal with in a real context. Yeah. So we've got, we're going to use the Adelaide Hills Council as our client. Oh. And so do you organise that like through the university to talk to these people or? No, I, actually they approached me okay. because I, I talked to Adelaide Hills Councillor <laughs> about my concerns. <laughs> Around hills, as a local resident, as yeah. a, local, a local hills activist, <laughs> around. Do trade. they all just know who you are up there? Um, for, for good and for bad, um, <laughs> they. Yeah, I think. Well, I just couldn't ignore it anymore. I've lived in the hills for fifteen years. I've seen a lot of really poorly managed development. I feel like if. I don't kind of speak out now. Uh, it's happening on my back doorstep. Mm. I feel a real passion around this issue and I feel there's a big misunderstanding around management of large-scale natural disasters. And this knowledge has sort of been in the background all along. When I looked at tsunami events in Arche, I was like, this is we, – we tackle these ideas on a – local level but obviously it's a global concern and that's why these things are happening so we need to kind of extract ourselves and really that's only the luxury of universities often because the people on the ground or the practitioners or the um, building compliance people are so under the pump with their current projects their projects and their deadlines and their restrictions that they can't even they don't have the liberty of time to look oh, beyond yeah. the yeah. big the big picture. So I guess from a research perspective that's our job. Wow, yeah. So uh so they've been really when I approach them they're really supportive of the thinking. So yeah. um that's yeah. interesting how those sort of relationships come back because I've always wondered I guess at uni I guess where the ideas come from, but yeah, understanding how it's a research base, which then gets um, communicated to students to try it out, explore things, you know, I guess preparing the next generation. I guess also because I had a sort of practitioner career prior Mm. to university, registered architect, like I kind of come at things from a 
practitioner base. Yeah, that's really cool. But I definitely theorise them now. So mm. I, I try and look at the big picture issue. Mm. That's amazing. So I'd, I would be so keen to do that studio if I had I time. want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as yeah. you design it. Yeah, yeah, you get to see all the ideas come in. Yeah, yeah. so we look out and watch this space. Hopefully yeah. we're going to have an exhibition, a public exhibition, and have a little bit of a debate about yeah. it all. Oh, I'm keen to see. So, yeah, do I it, can't yeah. wait, actually. It's something that I'm yeah. really – I've been – very it's a pressing issue and it would resonate with just australians in general exactly yeah yeah exactly and it's it's interesting of late there's mm. been a lot in the media around uh, insurance companies looking at pricing certain uh, areas uh, at coastal areas and hills regions nationally uh, with higher insurance premiums so people can't build there because oh. in five years time climate change will have kicked in to the point where there's rising sea levels, those areas will be flooded, and indefensible buildings in bushland that, that we do not have the resources to defend mm, yeah. from a fire. Yeah, so it needs – we need to understand it better. We need to understand yeah. the limitations. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, can't see – can't wait to see what you do. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I can't wait to. Yeah, um, thank you so much for catching up with me, um, and I'll be sure to check in with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. It's always lovely to chat to my old students. Yes. <laughs> oh, lovely. Thanks, Julie. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Designer Journals podcast. If you'd like to show your support, please subscribe or follow along, share it with your friends or leave a rating or review. You can find more content on the Instagram page. Just search for at the Designer Journals. Catch you next time.